education team for Jackson Family Rhymes proudly brings you these podcasts for your listening enjoyment. Thank you for joining us for our estate's monthly winemaker education podcast. All right, everybody, 11 a.m. PST on the dot. Welcome, welcome. Happy uh, end of the first month of the fiscal. We're so excited to be doing these trainings once a month for the estate's portfolio. We were talking as a DVP team recently about what can we do to engage the team and make sure that we're putting our best foot forward. And one of those ideas was to get the winemakers on a call with you. And I'm really, really thrilled with the turnout. Um, Originally, we talked about just doing the estate's specific team and Crown said, nope, we want in. And Pat said, nope, we want in. So we've got a really good group of people that have agreed to join us on these. So thank you all for giving us some grace for our first one. This is designed for us to geek out on these wines and really talk about what makes these wines special and what makes these estates special. So feel free to chime in, ask questions, put things in the chat. But one thing I do want to make sure to stress is that I do want to keep it and be respectful of people's time. So let's keep it to an hour. And with that, I'd love to welcome Marcia Torres-Forno, who is our fabulous winemaker for Matanzas Creek. Welcome again, Marcia, and thanks again for joining us today. So we talked about when we were planning this meeting, what do we want to talk about? And I said, let's nerd out. Let's go deep. Let's get geeky. And let's be sure to just dig in to some of the specifics that you do. And so Marcia went ahead and actually made a whole PowerPoint for us on some geeky things. So with that, Marcia. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for being with me today. Tell me if you see the presentation. Yes, ma'am. You're good to go. So I start one making for some of you that know me for a long time. You know this. I am originally from Chile. Uh, I study in the Catholic University. Over there, you become an agriculture engineer first. For the first three years, you study basic stack biochemistry, chemistry. Uh, inorganic chemistry, organic chemistry, micro and microeconomy, et cetera, et cetera. And then third year forward, you study enology and viticulture. And I came here in 98 and I started working with Jackson Family Wines. So this year will be my year number 24th on August 30th. Amazing. That is amazing. Uh, I don't know that anybody knew that you've been here that long. So thank you for your yeah. dedication. We love it. Oh, thank you. I didn't know she's been here that long. I knew she'd been there that long too. Where where did you start, Marcia? Which winery? I started in Chateau de Bon. There was a winery yep. that Jess rented, and Mister de Bon owned the tasting room for Jackson Family Wines. I mean, the gardens on the tasting room now for KJ. So that was his house. I knew that Kendall Jackson was well known, but I didn't know how big of a company was, how important was for the American uh, market. So I was hired by Chris Carpenter and I was the knowledgeist of Cardinal for three and a half years or four. And we were um, then Kendall Jackson, the facility changed from being Cardinal to Kendall Jackson. So I was the assistant maker there and then I applied to do a project that just Jackson wanna do at Knights Valley. And then uh, I moved to Stone Street. He always wanted me to be at Stone Street Winery. And in every meeting, he asked me where I make the wine and why I was not at Stone Street. He wanted to have an, a, a concept of academy in which winemakers help each other. So 
finally in 2010, I ended up moving to Stone Street and helping Stone Street with their wines and forming an academy as just one. In summary, I started, this will be my 13th harvest at Matanzas Creek. Um, before we used to do Sauvignon Blanc, but not at the scale that we do it now. And I love Sauvignon Blanc, so I was all for the right. And it's what I'm going to tell you right now. So what Matanzas does different that makes the wine taste different? And there are four aspects that I want to tell you about. Uh, one of the most important things for Sauvignon Blanc is light. Not necessarily temperature, but light. Okay, temperature too, especially during blooming times, that way you can have set. But the leafing is crucial. How much you leave, how much you expose those clusters to light is crucial to develop the flavors that you want. So in Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot, you try to develop color. And so more you leave, the better to an extent, because if you have higher temperatures, you lose the anthocyanins and the color. But in white varieties, especially in aromatic varieties, you want to be very careful how much you leave. If you leave too little, your grapes are going to be green and you are not going to develop the fruit tropical flavors. But if you leave too much, you are going to get a lot of phenols and tannins. The wine is going to be bitter, have a higher potential for browning. And you will lose the aromas anyway at the end because they combine with whatever was oxidized. Then I'm going to talk more about the thiols and what are we pursuing that. When thiols, I'm referring to grapefruit flavors, passion fruit. There are many thiols and the word thiol comes because there is a sulfur element in this molecule. And the peaking time is crucial when you are pursuing thiols, because if you wait too much, there are not enough precursors. So you can decide that you are going to be a thiol wine, but if you wait too long, there is no precursors left, so you will be doing it for nothing. Then we do something that is very different compared to other companies. We do what is called estabulation. Estabulation is not fermenting your wine right away, leaving it with lees and solids for about three, five, or seven days, and then decanting it and fermenting later. The last thing is yeast. Yeasting is special because you use different yeast according to what you want to produce. Different yeasts have different enzymes to break the precursors and make it into the flavors that you are hoping to have. But if you don't have that special enzymatic battery, then you are not going to have the aromas. So some people ask me, why you don't use native yeast like you use in the Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc? And you can use in one lot to get the more weight in the wine and ferment it with lees and native yeast. But the problem is that you don't get none of the aromas that I'm trying to get, I'm pursuing. So let's go to the next slide. Quick question, Marcia. Yeah. This slide, before you change, leafing, thiols, stabulation, specialized yeast, all four of those things are important for Matanzas Creek Sauvignon Blanc. Yes. How many of those things are important for Chardonnay? Do you do, I'm, I'm assuming you do not do stabulation on the Chardonnay, or is that something you do with all your winemaking? No. Uh, stabulation is only done on Sauvignon Blanc, and the idea is that 
when you separate the skins, when you press the one, the grapes and you separate the skins from the pulp, the thiol precursors are kind of 50% on the skin and 50% on the pulp. But if you decant the wine, the precursors on the pulp, they kind of settle together with the leaves. So the idea is not to settle the wine right away and keep them in suspension. So that way the enzymes have more time to ask. And we add enzymes at the press to break the pectinase and release more of those precursors from the skin because we add the enzymes to the press. So we can release the precursors from the skin and from the pulp. And since the skin goes away after pressing, we only have to deal with the precursors that are on the pulp, on the juice at this point. Perfect. In terms of leafing or not leafing, Right now, it's a big debate. You know that uh, global warming is here. And um, we have seen a lot of peaks on higher temperatures, especially last year. Thank goodness I didn't leave last year in none of my Sauvignon Blancs. What happened is that it, it's important also on other varieties, like I'm not leaving much on Chardonnay. Many people stop leaving on Merlot. And actually, Napa, if you drove through it recently, you see that people is starting to add protection to the canopy rather than leafing. So things are evolving. And last year for the Sauvignon Blanc especially was lots of heat spikes, right? Yeah, a grower, we have three growers outside of grapes from the company and a grower is a rep called me that the grower really want to make sure that I didn't leaf. I did, I give instructions for not leafing. So they call me three times and I say no. And the reason is because if you, I'm going to go to the next slide. Um, what happened is that you see the first picture on the top that there is a control. CK is the control. So you, when you see the vines of Sauvignon Blanc, they are wild, right? They are called Sauvignon for a reason, means Savage, right? Wild. So the, you see the grapes on the vineyards on the top, on your corner uh, left. There is no much light penetration inside the clusters. So botrytis have a tendency to be where it's darker and where you have moist. And so when you are spraying a vineyard with sulfur to avoid botrytis, the spray is not as effective when it's all covered with leaves because you, you have a less chance of reaching the clusters to protect them. And that is why growers are really concerned when you tell them not to leave because they have a higher chance of getting botrytis. And Something tells me, Marcia, real mm -hmm. quick, that you are always getting into arguments with your growers, aren't you? <laughs> no, I try to explain the scientific reasons, but it's giving and take. You need to tell them to please trust me, or just remove the leaves from the arm. So you see the second picture in the middle. The second picture on the middle is a 50% basal uh, leaf removal. So that means that you remove the leaves around the clusters on the arms and around the clusters. Those arms sometimes have little shoots and the shoots produce leaves. Uh, around the clusters, and in this case, as you see it, also they did it above the cluster. So that creates an airflow 
and a spray can be applied more effectively because this, the skins are a little bit tougher. Botrytis has less chance to penetrate in the skin. So you are preventing botrytis. That is pretty good. You are opening up the canopy. The problem if you do that and you have a heat spike for four days at 115, the temperature in that area is going to be warmer than the previous picture above. Uh, going back to the stabulation, that, that, that seems to be a relatively new kind of practice that's that's going on in the, in the wine world. And is this akin to maybe like a cold stabilization on, on the front end without skins, but rather with the juice leaves? Is that is that what the deal is? No. Let me finish with the leafing because leafing okay. is very important and I will talk stabilization later. The other option that you have, especially in... Um, cold, cold weather, I'm talking about Germany weather or in other varieties that, that you leave and you expose the entire shoot and cane. And I call it this like mini skirt going to a party with a mini skirt, right? You show all the legs. So when I go to the vineyards, I told the workers, hey, we are going to mass. Make sure that all the leaves are covering the entire canes and they remember, and that is very effective. And when you don't leave, you just tell them, you know, no, no leaving. Don't show me no legs. It's very important that you understand why you are leaving and not leaving. Because that, as you can see in this picture where the glasses are, you can analyze all the different components in a machine that is called the GCMS the mass chromatographic. Now we can determine what we really are getting in the juice prior to fermentation. So summarizing the leafing portion, before we used to leave only for three reasons, mainly one is the reduction of otritis, the reduction of pyrazine, meaning the green bell pepper, and the reduction of the total acidity and the increase in pH. And now we are leaving more because we know that when you leave, you increase the thiol precursors. In this case, I just put two as an example, the uh, glutathione-3-methoxyhexanol and the cysteine-3-methoxyhexanol. Then early leafing before variation um, is very important because you also increase monotherpens. And monotherpens exist in different fruits. For example, linalol is one of them in citrus, in guava, in pineapple. So we concentrate on thiols, but thiols is not the only molecule in the fruits that we are pursuing. We are also pursuing uh, monotherpens and other compounds. Now we know that when you leave at pea size, you also get the activation of those genes that I'm not going to even try to pronounce. But what I'm trying to point out is that the scientific research has advanced enormously. And we normally, as one makers, we keep trying to read papers and trying to catch up with the new research. So leafing activate genes that we didn't know before when I went to university that they were developing the flavors. I mean, you guess, you you leave and all one makers, you know, see the grapes and determine the color. And that is what we do for Matanzas too. We check the colors. So here is a very nice picture of how different one makers can pick Sauvignon Blanc. And for that reason, you have so many 
different flavor profiles when you taste Sauvignon Blanc. So at your uh, right-hand side, the green one will be more like a New Zealand style, right? That produces fruit that is very herbal, cut grass. The next one, you will have more like a lime in the middle, that cluster, you have a lot of lime. Also, you will have some basil. And the next one over at your, your left-hand side, the riper berries, you are going to have flavors if you apply the right yeast of grapefruit and guava and melon and peach. So when you're picking Marcia, you're picking between all three of those, or you like to lean towards the right side of the page? Oh, it's super good question. So my protocol is picking the majority, I will say 70% on grapefruit, but it's not just grapefruit what comes along. It depends on the terroir. You get more grapefruit in once you are picking by color and you said, okay, I'm pursuing grapefruit. I know that by picking in the color that I showed you before, this color on the Left-hand side, I'm going to go grapefruit. I'm going to have also some lemon, some peach, depending on the state. Here is a good picture. You see in cool climates, you can get in the middle grapefruit. But also, I pick one block earlier so I can get the gooseberry, the lime. And I pick one block late so I can get a lot of melon, mango, cantaloupe, and all of the riper also aromas. So the idea with the Sauvignon Blanc Sonoma County is that you get more than one flavor, right? That is has multitude of different flavors. It will be really boring if it's all grapefruit. And for that reason, also I changed the yeast. So there are yeast that produce gooseberry. Uh, one of them is really problematic. It's a bean seven yeast. I, I was asked, please Marcia, not to use it because you need to be like a hawk on top of those tanks, literally checking every day, several times a day. They are very finicky. But there are other yeasts now that I'm going to replace with. I'm going to try three new yeasts that produce also gooseberries uh, from other companies that hopefully are less finicky. We have the grapefruit, and they are fantastic yeast in the market for producing grapefruit. Passion fruit, we get one yeast from Australia. Melon, I will say pear. Melon comes from Knights Valley. So if you have Knights Valley, you get melon. Peach, we so get from go back real quick. Go back real quick. Sorry. You said there's yeast coming from Australia. Yeah. And we also talked about in our blind tasting a couple of weeks ago, the leadership team tasted through Sauvignon Blanc in a competitive way. And all of us agreed that the aromatics on Matanzas Creek Sonoma County Sauvignon Blanc had a likening to New Zealand style. And you wrote something really cool up on the dry erase board. You said CA, which is California, plus New Zealand, NZ, equals MTZ, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> How many of y'all agree that these aromatics liken themselves a little bit to a New Zealand style without going fully fledged in there? Do you all agree with that uh, assessment? It's pretty fun to be able to, to show this to a buyer and say, look, everybody knows New Zealand, but let's have a wine that's a little less cat pee, a little more grapefruit. And this kind of serves that purpose to bridge the gap between California and New Zealand and has the right price point. So I just wanted to real quickly jump in there as you were talking about your yeast, like, hey, the aromatics really lend themselves to fill a lot of different places on a wine list. In terms of files, I wanted to, uh, what I was explaining before is that every appellation and origin, because have different ex sun exposure and because of the different terroirs, you have different precursors 
for different places. So just here for fun, I put a Sancerre Sauvignon Blanc and I put a Touraine Sauvignon Blanc. So they are both in the Loire Valley. The distance is about half an hour driving. Sancerre is more at the east, more continental, and Touraine is 30 minutes to 40 minutes to the coast. Still in the Loire Valley, it's still very cold. But what happened is that the compounds, the precursors, are more or less and in different percentage on the skin and on the pulp. So translate this. Imagine if these are different, you can imagine Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand will be totally different too. Sauvignon Blanc from California will have a totally different amount of precursors. So now we know because we have the technology of the mass spectrophotometry that we can analyze these precursors. Now in the United States, I keep calling ETS. They know me by name, last name, and phone number because I keep asking them when are we going to have this way of measuring precursors in the US. So we need to sample to Australia or to France in order for us to know the precursors and the tiles. You but. stay on them, Marcia. Stay on them because this is fascinating. And just to just yeah. to make sure everybody is clear on what you're talking about here, thiols have specific flavors that you're looking for, right? You're you're literally trying to isolate a specific flavor based on how much sun exposure that skin and that pulp have received, correct? Correct. So and thiols is a word not to be intimidated with. You have it in fruits all the time. You have, you know, grapefruit and passion fruit and citrus notes. So it's just a name for all of those flavors. Like I said, there is uh, guava, for example, is more common in French clones. And that is the first one, the fruit at the top left, that is a pink guava. We in the United States have a pineapple guava that has a white flesh. And my Sauvignon Blanc has a lot of that white flesh guava. Also, the Sonoma County has melon. Sometimes they have kumquat when they age. That is a little citrus kumquat. Peach. I will say lemon verbena. I have a lot of lemon verbena. And honeysuckle I get too, especially because we add 2.5% of Sauvignon in the Sauvignon Blanc always. I add Sauvignon when I need it. I don't need it that much because we fermented in barrels, 17% in barrels, and in tank we mix the least, so we do very good. So here is the old bottle and that you all know, and I was not really satisfied with the capsule because the capsule is kind of dark and it makes me look twice when I was in the supermarket because the last thing I wanted with this flint glass that I, is now a saint of my devotion. To protect the wine, I really like the green bottle, but I understand why the market wanted to have a clear glass. But when you have a brown capsule, it makes me look twice in the supermarket because the reflection makes the wine to turn a little bit warmer color, like brownish. And it freaks me out every time. So I ask them to please change the capsule. And I'm so happy with the new packaging. They changed the capsule. Now it's light green and we have the arch label. So I'm really thrilled. And the label is big, so you can cover a lot of the flint glass. I, uh, I love so much 
how passionate you are about the science behind everything you do from start to finish, how deep you go to make sure that you make the best wine possible. But the fact that she's picking on color is one thing, but she even got them to change the capsule color based on how it reflected. She doesn't want to look at a brown wine on the shelf. She's excited about the fact that the label is bigger because it's protecting the wine from light strike. I don't know that we have a geekier winemaker. And I mean that in the most loving of terms, Marcia. Thank you so much for protecting what is to be one of our best volume items for the estate's portfolio. And it looks like Barry Dodds is going to join us with a quick com comment or question. Go ahead, Barry. Just underscore this. Uh, Marcia Torres Fournay is the geekiest, without a doubt, because this is the lowest price wine. And the amount of effort that Marcia puts into the creation is deliberate, it's purposeful, and I might say it's probably a really good example for a lot of our other winemakers as well, because I've noticed some differences in the approaches also. So it's the story. When you walk in into when we're walking into accounts, the story about Matanzas is all wrapped up in firstly the history, what determined the culture, but the modern history where Marcia is taking a Sauvignon Blanc and creating something absolutely explosive. When this wine gets poured into a glass, you can smell it from 20 feet away. It impresses immediately. So that's that's gone. That's a that's a given. But the actual the story about how Marcia goes through all of these hoops to create this wine is absolutely magical to me. I talk about this every single day. Thank you, Barry. Any comments about the wine that you're tasting today? Anybody done a blind tasting recently that was eye-opening for you? Yeah, we did, we did one uh, up in Willamette, and Cake Bread was part of the blind tasting, and they've gone from Napa Valley to North Coast. Barry, you were there, and I was shocked at the, uh, the quality level of Matanzas compared to, you know, one of the archetypes of Sauvignon Blanc in Napa Valley being, uh, you know, cake bread sellers. And it, it absolutely floored it. It wasn't even, it wasn't even a contest. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty mind blowing when you go up against some of the other IRI wineries, but then even some of the geeky ones. Um, one of the ones that was super surprising for us in our meeting was MLO. It's, that's an easy target. Not to, not that we try to go after people's brands, but that's definitely one that I would suggest including in your blind. One second. I haven't forgotten about the stabulation. Who asked the question for the stabulation? That was Neil Cashman. Um, so what happened with the stabulation is, is a technique that was used to use in France because they wanted to harvest everything in the shortest amount of time. They don't want to start dealing with hydrating yeast. They want to bring the fruit process, process, process. They wait for one week and then they start refermenting. In the process of doing that, they discovered that the wines that they brought earlier and they were chilling for a longer time without starting the fermentation, they developed more flavors, more aromas. So that is how this started. I started doing a stabulation, I think it 10 years ago on 2010, 2011. And I did it on one block. We worked with two French people on this machine that measured the color and they comment. And then I realized that that was true. Every year we did one or two tanks, but when the fires happened on 2017, 
that make me question if I maybe shouldn't be mixing and keeping the Sauvignon Blanc on the maceration because I, we used to macerate for three or two hours in the skins in the press and then start pressing. So since we know that the smoke gets in the skin of any grapes, I thought, geez, I'm not doing the right thing. I'm macerating, but I want the thiol precursor. So then two years ago, uh, no, last year, I changed the entire protocol and we now do only stabulation in order to not take a risk. If it's any fires, do not take the risk and just do the stabulation rather than the macerating in the press for two hours. Marcia, Nick had a question for you. Does your Chilean background affect your winemaking style? It's a small factor because I have done most of my career here, but I think in my education has a big influence studying in another country. I still need to explain my colleagues why my bottle of Sauvignon Blanc is in Flint. And some of my colleagues just make Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand and imported here, and they just put a film bottle for the American market, and they think it's silly that we don't know anything. So <laughs> it's, it's what people does here, and you need to adapt and do what the Romans do. But <laughs> yeah, I don't think it, I not, think it growing in another country influence you, give you a better perspective too. I love how passionate you are about that too. And it's, it is definitely a delicate balance, but that is definitely something that we can talk to with our more savvy buyers of how particular you are as a winemaker and how this wine definitely deserves to, to cost more. Although Kendall uh, promised me that we aren't raising price. So, you know, <laughs> we'll just have to keep running at this price. Any okay. other questions or comments? Yeah. As far as the inclusion of Simeon, Marcia, what are you looking to get out of the three, four, or 5% Simeon that you blend in with the uh, Sauvignon Blanc? The Simeon adds texture. Uh, so sometimes when you want to add a little bit more texture, it adds weight and unctuousness. And also as they add the honeysuckle notes. So that is what I'm pursuing with the add of the semillon. I blend everything and then I add the semillon later. Um, about alcohol, I want to put attention. This is a 13.2% alcohol naturally. I'm trying to work the vineyards. I'm running a trial for the second time, trying to push the vineyards to develop the flavors without having higher alcohols. Um, so we are working on more leafing or less leafing and doing different irrigations. And here is the Chardonnay. As you know, this is no Sonoma County. We changed it and put Alexander Valley. Go ahead, Barry. What, Sorry, before we go add? headlong into Chardonnay, how much Alexander Valley fruit is actually coming from the mountain? Everything. Right. So back the mountain has different exposures. So I put here an example of a mountain, regular mountain. So you have at the top, this is degrees of temperature. You see the temperature, the coldest temperature is when the cold air is. But if you go high up in the mountain, also the temperature start being cooler. So the warmest part of the mountain is really the middle. And you need to look how the airflow is in a vineyard to pick the blocks that you want to pick for the flavors that you are developing. 
so I have more cougar. Uh, I also have, if for you that are familiar with AME, you know, it's the AME vineyard, the rich, and then it's cougar. Cougar is in a bowl, so it has a tendency to have vineyards mature slowly because the bottom part especially is colder. And I have a top vineyard that is 83B that is by Christopher's, above Christopher. So it's, it's a very high up vineyard and it's colder and it's mineral. And I have also by Upper Barn, the in front of Upper Barn, I have 47E and D. So depending where you are in the vineyards is the flavors that you are to get. And adding that, I have clones that are, clone four is the most common clone in the mountain, but you have other clones that are champagne clones like 76 and 72. The mountain is complex and it's not just that you are up in the mountain and you get cold temperatures. I think the soils of the mountain are the main thing. It's very meager soil. So you need to be careful with having very, very small berries because you get a lot of skin contact and a lot of tannins. So your press cycles at Stone Street, for Matanzas and Stone Street, need to be very light pressing. When you go too hard pressing because they are, you already have a lot of phenols, you can have a a punch of a Chardonnay. This is huge. This is absolutely huge. I mean, these are mountain Sauvignon Blanc vineyards where we all know how well Cabernet does up there. Cabernet gets a little bit more money than Sauvignon Blanc does. Just one more point in the dedication of Marcia, JFW, to produce not just a Sauvignon Blanc to put in a label, but this is also following a legacy of Matanzas Creek and the fact that we are talking about Alexander Valley as the AVA. Marcia, this will become a pocket peak AVA part, right? Uh, yeah, if uh, Chris has his wishes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so far, it says Alexander Valley, but it's no valley on Alexander Valley, really, so mountain. The multiple AVAs, uh, at multiple uh, altitudes, these are all adding up to a phenomenal wine and winemaker and a great story. Perfect. I also wanted to, right now at Matanzas, it will be a renovation of the garden. So if you have people that want to come and visit, that is great, but it's uh, going to be renovated. They are going to put like a gazebo in the lavender garden so hopefully by next spring it will be done so it's it's all new so exciting um any other comments on chardonnay that's definitely something that we need to as barry says dig in we have a lot of work to do to build that uh skew i hate to even call it a skew uh, that wine selection up and get it in front of people because it's delicious it's amazing it's a great price there's really nothing negative to say about it. So everybody will be doing these once a month, like we talked about at the beginning here. So if there is anything you'd like to see us do differently or include as we continue to evolve these, please definitely jump in. Just a last minute plug. There is a podcast interview uh, with Marcia as well that you can go back in on Bud Break and take a listen to, to uh, just add to what you already heard today. And awesome. this has also awesome. been recorded, awesome. so I can share that out to anybody that needs it, okay? 
Nice to see many of my old friends. Neil, nice to see you. Same here, Marcia. Uh, very, thank you. And yeah, when you come over, now that it's not COVID, I, I will be happy to show you the new tasting room. Awesome. We'll be there. Thank you. Be there soon. Thanks, Marcia. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.